0: Hello and welcome to the Exvangelical Therapist podcast. My name is Abigail and you can find me at the Exvangelical Therapist on Instagram and TikTok. I post podcast episodes every Sunday where I talk about the intersections of evangelicalism, mental health, and social justice. The podcast is geared towards helping those deconstruct after leaving evangelicalism or those considering leaving the evangelical church. This is a wellness resource and is not meant to be a replacement for therapy. I was prepared to get banned on social media at some point Um, because I have been seeing a lot of ex-fundamentalists also be getting banned on social media, especially those who are intersectional, whether they be BIPOC or part of the LGBTQ community, sometimes both, and also be an ex-fundamentalist. It's almost like the intersectionality, it's like you're just kind of quiddling your thumbs a little bit and just waiting to see whenever you're going to get banned. And this was my lucky week to get banned. I got banned on my personal account where I still had some people from my past of evangelicalism on my account that I thought were supportive of me being an openly queer person Uh, Apparently, that wasn't the case because I got reported after I made a little video about why it was so important to resist the don't say gay bill that the House Republicans are trying to pass because it is disempowering the community. It is anti-democratic. And it's very dehumanizing as a result of me sharing about that. This person, I don't know who they are, reported me multiple times. So it would be like once I would get back on, then I would get kicked back off um, as Instagram would then have to review my account again. And it was just it was just like really like this carousel of back on again, back off again, just very tight restrictions on my personal account to the point of now my personal account no longer exists. And I didn't want to try to find who this person was because I thought this person is not worth my time and energy. And I do not find my worth in social media. I think it can be very dangerous to find one's worth in The likes, the followers, the saves, the shares. Because this is so transient. And a lot of this reminds me of the censorship that I experienced in growing up in fundamentalism. As Halloween is rolling around here, that is just a really great reminder of the censorship of fundamentalism. I mean, I was not allowed to participate in Halloween. My family would go hide in a dark basement (laughs) on Halloween. Um, And I wasn't allowed to, you know, read anything that was about witches, about sorcerers, nothing about goblins, and had other things that were also restricted as far as books, movies, TV, you name it. And a lot of other people who grew up fundamentalism in the fundamentalist tradition experienced a similar thing. Censorship, in a way, was essential for the operation of fundamentalism because it was based on that fear conditioning and blocking out different voices, especially the voices that are saying, it's okay to be different, it's okay to be you, like the LGBTQ community that's encouraging people to come out, be yourself, you know, show your heart on your sleeve, speak up. It is a threat to evangelicalism. It is a threat to fundamentalism. It's what they're trying to prevent. And a lot of this is done through censorship. And I think it's very important for us to consider the psychological effects of censorship i recently came across this old psychologist he has now passed his name is kimball young well kimball young was the grandson of brigham young and yes the brigham young who started brigham young university well, anyhow kimball went to brigham young university for his undergrad and He was openly against the teachings of the LDS church. And so that was a huge thing for him to be doing that, you know, let alone with his grandfather being the Brigham Young, you know, like this was a really badass move. And so he was a forerunner really for the ex-fundamentalist movement And then he went on to go to grad school at the University of Chicago, which is very liberal and and open-minded. And that's where he became a doctor of psychology. And, And then he started writing about the psychological effects that fundamentalism has on society and on individuals. Well, I came across some of Kimball's writing about censorship. And I found it to be very, very interesting. And I wanted to read it to y'all. Here's what Kimball says. Censorship is essentially a negative process. And it derives its force very largely from fear in the threats of power. Psychologically, censorship has its counterpart An individual experience, we all censor or pass judgment of good or bad, like or dislike, on what we see and hear. This censorship, this judgment, depends naturally upon our temperament and upon our previous social cultural conditioning. We do not let our minds dwell on those subjects which are socially disapproved. In this sense, censorship is clearly akin to prejudice. I want to say that one more time. In this sense, censorship is clearly akin to prejudice. We inhibit our associations on a dangerous subject. We do not like it. We cast it out of our mind. The new idea may disturb our ego proportions. It may seem too strange, too far-fetched, too extravagant, and we set up a defense reaction against it. We tell ourselves that the idea is foolish, it is no good, it is illogical. As we know, inhibitions are largely created by the introduction of a novel or divergent patterns of behavior which block, inhibit, or stop our usual associations. If inhibitions only extended this far, their social consequences might be insignificant. The new associations are blocked by the old ones that have their basis in long-accepted culture patterns, labeling ideas, images, and attitudes as evil, as immoral, as unpatriotic, is usually an effective method of stopping the development of such notions and attitudes. All forms of social taboos are designed to do just this. They furnish the individual with guideposts and his associative thinking, which keep him within the boundaries set by the moral codes. The ideas, images, or attitudes with which the new ideas conflict are sacred. They are right. They are proper. And therefore, persons having the same social and cultural heritage may develop a consensus of the opinion that the divergent ideas or attitudes ought to be stopped. Censorship, then, is psychologically a form of negativism. It is a type of repression caused by our fear of the consequences of novel stimuli. In censorship, we assume that there is no stimulation. There will be no response. For example, if we keep our school children from seeing motion pictures, we sometimes think that we can thus limit the response to such stimuli. As group control, censorship is not created By one man's dislikes of another man's ideas, attitudes, or productions in art, literature, or science. It must be a collective dislike. It must involve group control of infractions against some code. When the zealous individual finds another doing and saying things contrary to the code by securing the aid of like-minded men and women, he may attempt to bring pressure to bear upon the offending individual. If a new idea strikes at the central values of the group with which we have been taught to identify ourselves, we inevitably resist it. Attacks by outsiders, opposite political parties, groups adhering to divergent economic views, or even literary standards offend us. By some kind of force, we try to prevent further attacks upon our moral citadels, often a fanatic himself full of inhibitions and temptations will project his paranoid ideas upon whole groups of people who, because of their similar backgrounds, easily catch his fanaticism. So that is written by Kimball Young in Censorship, the Negative Control of Opinion. Very interesting, right? I don't agree with the entire work there as there's been more development since 1930 whenever that came out however there's a lot of similarities there he even talks about censorship of school children which is what the house republican proposition aims to do is censoring content that lgbtq people like me even exist from children nationwide and this is all in effects of looking at A person's development and how child development, this is very, very important. And as such, with it being a very important time in a person's life, if they ban a person from having those experiences, it's going to have some effects. And I don't think it's necessarily going to have the effects that those proposing the bill are wanting it to have. Because like Kimball was writing in here, Whenever there is censorship and it is a type of fanaticism that really has some detrimental effects. Fanaticism is based in fear. If I could choose any word to describe what the experience was like in seeing megachurches, I would say fanaticism, you know, you go into those different environments and that's what it was. And the groupthink was so strong because there was so much censorship in place that it insulated the group and prevented the group from really being able to see what else was out there. Because if people saw what else was out there, that may risk them being empowered to be an individual. I think we can learn from Kimball Young here. He kept speaking out. Even whenever it cost him. Even whenever it affected his life on multiple levels, you know? He, he was speaking out against the entire system. He was born and raised in the state of Utah, right? Especially with his grandfather being Brigham Young himself. And I just find so much inspiration from Kimball in his work. So here's something that I want you to be asking yourself. How can I be a leader in an era of censorship? Because this censorship exists and it is going to continue to grow. I think that a lot of our communities are very, very reliant upon social media. And if we are fully reliant upon social media that is getting censored, how is that going to be reliable for a community? So I'd encourage you to be thinking about these different connections that you are making with people in the deconstruction community online and look at what would it be like to, instead of be DMing them, to maybe have a phone call with them instead. What would it look like to start being pen pals with someone who you met from the deconstruction community? What would it look like to start having in-person meetups of people from the deconstruction community? I think that it's important to not put eggs all in one basket because of the risk of censorship. It's very important that the momentum continues for this because let's take, for instance, Kimball Young and his work, as well as other psychologists out there who we're speaking against fundamentalism or fascism or totalitarian ideas. A lot of that work has disappeared from view. And again, it's because of censorship. So, how can we keep the work alive, the work that we're doing, the work that people before us did, so that we can help others find their way out of fundamentalism and high control religions? What can we be doing to still be using our voice what can we do so that we remind ourselves that our values are not based on a social media platform but that life can become so much more meaningful whenever we build these real life human connections we are built for connection And I think that the deconstruction and ex-fundamentalist community is a very beautiful one. One that is going to continue to grow. And what that's going to look like for the future. The future in an era that may not be as welcoming to ex-fundamentalists, even though that the movement is growing. If you are an ex-fundamentalist who has been censored, I want to encourage you to keep on sharing your voice. And also to keep on practicing self-care, to rest, and being an activist, it takes a lot of self-care. We have to practice self-care so that we can care better for others. I hope this episode brought you more clarity and insight into the effects of evangelicalism. If you found the episode to be helpful, please share it with a friend. leave me a review wherever you listen to this podcast if you enjoyed it so more people can discover the podcast too. Thank you so much for listening and until next episode, I'll talk to you later.